Hi, I'm Wayne Hines and the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. So, if you missed last week's message, it was called Temple for Today. And so it's part two of that. So I want to give you a quick summary if I can. Um, So what we did last week was we ventured back to the temple in Jerusalem. So the the one that was built by King Solomon and wasn't so much about the building itself. It was actually the reason for last week's message and again today is the purpose for the building. So a building is only ever a tool. It's a, a resource that God gives us to use to advance the kingdom. It's never about the building. You know, sadly, around the world, there are many, many church buildings that are now empty, that are being refurbished, that, you know, are now apartments or things like that because there's been too much focus on the building and not actually the purpose for the building. And so we looked at King Solomon and um, the reason behind the building of that Solomon, uh, sorry, of that temple. And what... um, What we actually learnt last week was such a dynamic shift, this seismic shift when it came to how people related to God. Because for the very first time in the temple that Solomon built, God attached his physical presence to a place. So before that, there was always separation. There were a very small number of people that had an encounter with God. But for people at the time of Solomon, it was a distant relationship, unlike what you and I know um, in terms of our relationship with Jesus today. They could never feel God's presence. They never knew where God was. They prayed, but they kind of just hoped Oh, I hope he's hearing me. I hope he's hearing my prayers. I hope something is actually happening. But for the first time, what the Jewish people could do was they could go to a place and they could know that God would be there, that God would reside there. Reside there. And it was this monumental shift in how people related to their God. And I'm going to take a step further and say it's the start of what you and I experience today in terms of a personal relationship with God. It started right there because the barrier that used to exist as the temple was built, it disappeared. And from there, the church just grew and grew and grew. Now, I mentioned last week, the temple itself is not important for you and for me in 2022. It's actually the principle of the temple. And so we started exploring some of those last week because what was true two and a half thousand years ago when it comes to the temple is true for you and I today as followers of Jesus. And I mentioned this first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, for we are the temple of the living God. And the Old Testament temple that Solomon built is a reference for us, but the important thing for you and for me is that we today are the temple of God. And so the parallels are there, but they're very different in terms of our context. So we talked about a couple of things. Whatever was true for the temple back then is true for you and me today. And that's the crux, that's the heart of this particular message. Whatever was true for the temple back then is true for you and me in 2022 and beyond. Because we are the connection point between heaven and earth. The temple back in the day was that connection point. 
But remember, we are the temple of God right now. So we are the connection point between heaven and earth. How does our community, how do they encounter Jesus? Through us, as his church, as his temple. It's exciting. And so there were just a, a couple of points that we shared last week. The first of those was the temple of Solomon, it was visible. The temple was visible, it could be seen. And we showed this photo of the temple, modern day photo. You can't miss it if you're in modern day Jerusalem. You just can't miss it. And then I shared from Matthew 5 how, you know, we don't put our light under a basket so no one can see it. We shine the light of Jesus with every step that we take. So we need to be visible. Now, one thing I, I forgot to mention last week, if you just give me a minute or two to do that, is that I think the problem that we have is there's not enough visible temples in our community. Because you know people and I know people that have got a whole lot of questions about life, that actually have questions about faith. The problem is they don't really know where to go for the answers anymore. But can I remind you that we have the answers? We have all of life's answers. It's found in Jesus and his word. So can you imagine if we were more visible and people were drawn to us that we could give them the answers that they're seeking? Because they're going to all sorts of places and they might be getting an answer, but it's not the truth. It's an answer for today, but it's not an eternal truth. And that's what this whole Can We Pray campaign is all about. It's about saying if you've got questions, let's pray. We want to pray for you. And maybe some truth will be revealed. We have the answers. Now, the second thing that we talked about last week was that the temple was a place of prayer. It was a holy house of prayer, a temple of prayer. And that's why you and I also need to be places of prayer. God doesn't respond to us going through the motions. God doesn't respond to us looking good. He doesn't respond to man's perfection. God responds when we get on the altar before him and we pray full of faith and expectation. That's what he responds to. And scripture again and again and again tells us that. So those were our first two points. That's a very quick summary. Um, as I said, if you want to hear the full message, it is available for you online. So what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of today looking at points three and four. Now, I could probably get a whole lot more out, but I wanted just to limit it to four, okay? So, the temple was a place of prayer. The temple was visible. And point three, the temple should be holy. And we find this in 2 Chronicles 7, because here's what it says. For I have chosen this temple, talking about the temple that Solomon built, and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honoured forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. It is dear to my heart. Imagine the God of all creation says that this temple is dear to my heart. It's not the building. Honestly, he probably doesn't care about the building. He allowed it to be destroyed. But why is it dear to his heart? It's dear to his heart because he's saying, now I have a connection with my people. The distance between me and them has been removed. I now have this connection. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you would know that the Bible tells us wherever God dwells, 
wherever he is present, that it is holy. A couple of Psalms for you from 11.4. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. He watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. So even though he now dwells in heaven, it is a holy place. That's repeated again for us in Psalm 68.5. Talking about God, it says he is the father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Now, can I ask you in 2022, where does God dwell today? He dwells in you. He dwells in me. Therefore, if we are his temple and he dwells within us, we should be holy because the temple of Solomon was holy. So we should be holy. God dwelt in the temple. He walked in the temple. The Jewish people could encounter his presence there. In Scripture, the temple is referred to the Holy of Holies. It also has the most holiest of places, which house the Ark of the Covenant. So the temple that Solomon built was holy. So we too should be holy. Let me give you a verse to back that up. From 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you realize that you, that all of you together are the temple of God, there it is again repeated, and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Where is God dwelling? His Spirit is in you because you are His temple in 2022. But then it goes on to say, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What is that saying? You are holy. You are the temple of God. God lives in you. You are holy because the temple is holy. Now, at this point, as I was writing my message and preparing, I thought, hold on. That's a pretty big thing to say, that we are holy. Because the truth is, we're all sinners. So how do we reconcile? We are holy, yet we all fall short of God's glory. How do we reconcile that? Because I was thinking during the week, and I was preaching to myself as I was writing my message, and I was just thinking, there's no way I can live up to that. There's no way I can get it right all of the time, So maybe I'm not holy. And maybe you've had that thought as well. Maybe you've pondered that. And can I say, that is correct. That is correct. You cannot be perfect. Because there was only ever one man who was perfect and his name was Jesus. But here's where I want to go. I want to talk about holiness because I think it's a concept that is misunderstood by those inside the church and those outside of the church. Because somehow we've got to a place where we equate holiness with perfection. And it's not. Holiness is not perfection. And so let me explain it like this. Every religion that there is aspires to holiness. 
That's the ultimate goal. It doesn't matter what the religion is. The whole common thread that runs through all of those religions, those ideologies, religious systems, is holiness. That's the main goal. You want to attain holiness. For some, that's being forgiven. For some, it's being invited by the deity or the godhead of that particular religion. For some, it's being clean. It's being pure. You know, I'm sure you've heard all of those kind of different things. Now, it doesn't matter if it's Buddhism. It doesn't matter if it's Islam. doesn't matter if it's Hinduism, if it's Sikhism, any other belief system. The ultimate goal is holiness. But if you study these religions, there is a very very big difference between their view of holiness and that of the Christian faith. In all religions, except in Christianity, holiness is something that you need to attain. So there's something called a ladder principle. And if you imagine that we've got a a ladder going up here on the wall, man in all religions except Christianity... Man needs to climb up that ladder to take a step towards holiness. So it's man's effort that takes him a step towards finding, hopefully, at the end of the ladder, holiness up there somewhere. That's what religions do. And it doesn't... Well, it sort of depends on the religion in terms of how you do that. How do you take a step up the rung of the ladder? For some religions, that's going to be praying in a certain direction. For some, it's going to be fasting. For some, it's going to be praying a certain number of times a day. For some, it's going to be giving. There are so many criteria in order for you to take a step towards being holy. Now, my wife and I, um, and Jeremiah, when he was just a toddler, we lived in Sri Lanka for a couple of years And we were running a children's home at the time, and um, it was a a fenced house. And then some strangers would turn up every now and again and want to come in and give some food or some goods to the kids that were in in the house. And we were very protective of the kids, and so we're kind of like, you know, when we were first, in the first few months we were there, we're like, nah, I don't think so. And then we, we got talking to, you know, some local people, and we found out this was actually a Buddhist tradition. It's called almsgiving. So uh, each month they have something called a Poya Day, which coincides with the full moon. The kids knew it as a public holiday, so they didn't have to go at school, to school. But if you were in a follower of Buddhism, it was the day when you would go around and you would give alms. You would give food or you would give goods to somebody as a way of thanksgiving. Now, we probably look at that and go, oh, that's great. But what was the purpose behind it? The purpose behind it, it was a religious rite. It was if I do this, then I take another step up the ladder towards holiness. It wasn't necessarily out of a heart of I want to bless these people like we would do it, but it was a religious practice that said if I do that, then I become a little bit more holy, a little bit more holy with everything that I do. So that's most religions. Can I now show you what happens in Christianity? Because it too has a ladder. Christianity has the ladder principle. Absolutely it does. But the ladder is inverted. The ladder is the other way around. 
we don't climb up to experience holiness, our holy God climbs down to us. Can you see how different that is? How monumentally different that is? God climbs down to us. He doesn't ask us to climb up to get closer to holiness. Holiness himself comes down to us. And we see this in Jesus. The gods, when God in heaven climbed down the ladder to earth and introduced himself to mankind. What a blessing that was. John 6.38 says this. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Jesus decided, made the choice to climb down the ladder to meet you and me. Ponder that for a moment. It is so good. It's unbelievable. It's hard for people from other religions to fathom because they've grown up and been continually taught, no, you've got to work for holiness. You've got to do this and do that and climb the ladder and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I am so very thankful that for you and for me, holiness is a gift. Independent, independent of anything that we have done. Holiness is not a reward for a job well done. Holiness came down the ladder in the form of Jesus to you and to me. We don't need to climb the ladder. We don't need to follow a set of rules in order to receive holiness. We are already holy because we are temples for today. The holiness of God lives in you. You don't need to try and attain it. You already have it. You already have it. It's living in you. Here's what Ephesians 1.4 tells us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He chose us to be holy when? Before anything of the world was made. Before what we read about in Genesis 1, you and I were already holy. Because we don't have to do anything to get holiness. God is holy and he is in us. So we were already holy before, before anything was created. We were holy. So according to the gospel, here's what that means. Holiness is not your final destination. It's not at the end of the ladder. Holiness is your point of origin. Holiness is where you started. You started holy. It's not where you'll end up one day. It's actually where you started. And so let me give you an example of that. I want you to think about the baptism of Jesus, if you know, you know the story. Um, Jesus is talking to John. Jesus says to John, I want you to baptize me. John says, no, I can't do that. You know, you're the Messiah. I can't do that. Jesus says, John, wake up to yourself. I'm the Messiah. Do what I say. My interpretation doesn't necessarily say that in your Bible. But in Matthew 3, I love this is what it says after they get to an agreement where John says, okay, I'll baptize you. Jesus came straight out of the water afterwards 
And suddenly the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting upon him. And a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my dearly loved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now you probably know that passage of your Bible. Can I put it in context for when it was spoken? Because it's so important. Jesus had done nothing. Jesus had done nothing in terms of his ministry. He had not performed any miracles. He had not turned over the tables. He had not ruffled the feathers of the religious hierarchy. Jesus had done nothing at this point of time. Yet what does God say? God says, I am pleased with you. You are my beloved son. Was it because of everything that Jesus did? Nope. Because his point of origin was holiness, independent of what he did. Holiness is not a reward for a job well done. It's the gift of God to you and to me. Never undervalue it. Never dismiss it. You are holy because you are the temple of God. From the very first day, that you started your journey with Jesus as your saviour, you've been holy. You simply have. Now, can I just put some asterisks with some fine print? And we'll magnify the fine print. Because that doesn't mean you can just do what you want to do. Doesn't mean we can walk around going, well, I'm holy. So, uh... Yeah, I'll be mean to that person. I'll say this. I'll do that. I'll live however I want to live. It doesn't mean any of that. I would suggest it means the opposite. I would suggest it means we need to work harder on our weaknesses. We need to work harder on our character. We need to work on the way that we talk to other people. We are still a work in progress. Yes, we're holy, but we're still a work in progress. We all have areas where we need to grow. Absolutely, we do. And we do that so that our holiness can be perfected. We are holy, but we are not perfect. But each day as you journey with Jesus should be a day when that holiness is getting closer and closer to being perfected. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down today. Holiness is not about perfection. Holiness is about reflection. It's not about you and I being perfect because we never will be. For those of you that are married, I know you're looking at your husband or your wife nodding your head going, yeah, they're a long way from perfect. Maybe that's just my wife. But you cannot perfect holiness. You simply can't. Because if you could, Jesus dying on the cross would have meant nothing. Would be no value in that, no purpose in that at all. Your holiness is perfect from the beginning, but it needs to be refined and it needs to be reflected to the world around us. Because I don't know if you know this, people are watching you. When you are a temple that is visible and people know that you follow Jesus, 
they're watching you. And we live in a time where they're looking for the smallest of gaps to be able to tear you down. So they're looking at your lifestyle. They're looking at your priorities. They're looking at your words. They're looking at your attitude. And they're going, does that reflect the holiness of God? Now, of course, we don't get it right all the time. And thank you, Jesus, for his grace. Thank you that we walk in that each and every day. But know that the world around us want to find those areas where we lack because they can then justify their own behaviours and actions. That's what they want to do. Oh, such and such, they're a Christian, they can do that. No problem me doing that. Your holiness is about reflection. Okay, so third part was the temple was holy. The fourth thing about the temple back then, and therefore the fourth thing that should be about the temple for you and me here and now today, is the temple was a place of miracles. I don't have all the time to go through it, but if you want to do some study in Second Kings, I highly encourage you to do that because time and time again, it'll point to the temple and the miracles that took place there. The temple is the connection point where the miraculous powers of heaven can be seen and encountered on earth. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. I hope you do as well because the temple was a place of miracles, a place of divine exchange. But as the temple's for today, we are the vessel that God wants to use to bring about the miraculous. God dwells in us. His holiness is in us. His power is in us. So we are temples where miracles reside. So we should be expectant for the miraculous in our lives. I don't know if you are, but I am. If I pray, I pray expectantly, believing that God is flowing through me and he will do what he wants to do. Otherwise, what's the point of praying? If it isn't full of faith and expectation. The power of God lives in us and it is his power, his power that enables those miracles. Not me, not you. It's the power of God through us. I love this verse in Acts 19.11. It's speaking of Paul. It says this, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Unusual miracles. I like that. But Scripture makes it very clear that that is God's plan for you and for me. So I want you now to verbalize that. I want you to take this verse and I want you to say, God gave, insert your name, the power to perform. It can be just normal miracles if you want, or you can have unusual miracles. All right? You choose whether it's normal or unusual. I'll leave that up to you. But that's true of Paul. That's true of you and me. And if you don't believe it, look at this from Ephesians 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now I'm sure we could agree that as Jesus rose from the dead, 
That was a mighty miracle. Can we agree on that? But this verse tells us that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you and me. So the mighty, miraculous, life-giving, life-restoring power of God that we're going to celebrate in a couple of Sundays for Easter Sunday, it is with you and with me today, right here in Southern Lake Macquarie, right here in New South Wales, right here in Australia. Do you believe that, church? I certainly hope you do. But can I just say something? Because I know that probably everybody here knows somebody who has prayed and haven't received the answer to the prayer that you were hoping for. And I want to say something that might challenge you a little bit, but the power of God is not actually there for you and for me. The power of God, the miraculous power of God is not there for our benefit. It's for the benefit of those that don't know Jesus. That's who it is for. And so we really need to break out of this sort of, I guess, like self-centered Christianity where we go, oh, it's all for me, it's all for me, it's all for me. I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I know where I'm headed when my time on this earth is done. And if that was to happen today, I still have all of eternity with God. Amen? But there are millions and millions of people that don't have that assurance. They're the ones that are out asking the questions about life and what happens to life after death. We need to be temples full of miracles, not just for ourselves, but so that we can share Jesus with people. And you see many, many examples of that in Scripture, but I love this one from John 6 too. A huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. What attracted the multitudes, the huge crowd of people, what attracted them to Jesus? It was the healings. It was the miraculous. How awesome would it be if, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not awesome, but I think it would be. But what if there were a huge crowd following you because they knew that you were the temple for today in which the miraculous flowed. Can you imagine that? I know some of you, a bit like me, who are melancholics, are like, I want a huge crowd of people following me. (laughs) Just let me be at home alone. I'll leave that up to God. But here's the truth. As temples for today, God uses us, You and me to display his majesty, to display his glory, to display his divinity. We are carriers of his supernatural power. What a privilege that is. He is the miracle maker, but we are the miracle carriers. And in everyone that is here today, for those joining us online, there are miracles in you because God dwells within you. You are the temple where God dwells. Not for our glory not for our benefit, but so that we can have conversations with Jesus in our community and bring about that transformation in the mighty name of Jesus. One final thought very quickly when it comes to miracles. I also think they give us a glimpse of the world that is to come. You know, sometimes like when it's nighttime 
and there's a fantastic lightning storm and it's pitch black but then the lightning strikes and there's this kind of flash of light and you just get a glimpse of something that's around you. I think miracles are like that. They give us a glimpse of what's to take place in eternity. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22 if you want to do that. But I think it's like God's whispering to us, this is what eternity is like. It's complete healing. It's total wholeness. It's never-ending joy, freedom. Here's a sneak peek. Here's a sneak peek. Think about that next time there's a lightning storm. Maybe that'll help you. We might not see it this side of heaven, but I'm so very thankful that we get to see it. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.